Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Hey, I wanted to say a big welcome to anyone that's new with us, a bunch of new faces, and just to let you in on something, we're in the middle of a season called uh, Beyond, and every year we spend a couple of weeks where we just focus on um, some of the activities of our church that we believe God's called us to together in uh, serving our local community through our care ministries, uh, serving the nations of the world um, by sharing the good news of Jesus and working with community development and with the poor, and also in uh, what's been in more recent times an emerging part of our church, which is about planning churches and campuses and seeing the good news of Jesus go to new communities in our backyard and our nation. And are we here at Gateway Ormo are one of the products and the pictures of that. And so you have stepped, if today's your first day, you've stepped right into the middle of a conversation that we're having as a church. And uh, I'm going to talk very practically about that today. And so if you are visiting, I'm going to talk a little bit about giving today. And I don't want you to feel any pressure or compulsion uh, as this is a conversation that today, for some of us, is uh, really the culmination of 10 years of dreaming, envisioning, and uh, hoping for the future. Uh, but I hope that if uh, this is uh, a day that you've joined us for the first time, what you do is get a sense of the heart of our church. Because I'm going to talk about the heart of Gateway and who God's called us to be. And the first thing I want to do this morning is I want to ask the question of what is the church? What is the church? Jesus makes a famous statement when he's meeting with his disciples at a place called Caesarea Philippi. It was on the outskirts of the region that Jesus traveled. It was about as far away from Jerusalem and the center of uh, Jesus' life and mission that he took his disciples. And Caesarea Philippi was a pretty messed up place. There was a lot of pagan worship uh, to the god Pan and there was a lot of messed up stuff happening in Caesarea Philippi. And in that moment, as they're observing all of the pagan practices, uh, Peter has this in, uh, conversation with Jesus where Jesus puts it on Peter and says, Peter, who do you say that I am? Don't worry about what everyone else says. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, at that moment, declares that Jesus is the Messiah. In other words, God's sent one, God himself incarnate. And Jesus says these words to Peter. Peter, on that confession, you know, like you, you've made a great confession. You're the rock on which I'll build my church. What is the church? What is the church? The Greek word that is translated in that conversation with Peter is the word ecclesia. And so when Jesus says, Peter, you are, uh, I'm going to build upon your confession of me as the Messiah, my church, my ecclesia. And ecclesia is, talks about a people. The ecclesia literally means uh, the sent out or the set apart ones, the gathering of the set apart ones or the called out ones. It's a term about the who, never about the where. When we talk about the church, we often talk about a place. But when Jesus says to Peter, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he talks about the who. Those that have been set apart, that have been sent out, those that gather as the called out ones, that is what Jesus refers to as his church. The word that we now use as church has come from a completely different Greek word with a different origin and a different set of meetings, and it's the word curicon. It means the possession or the belonging to. It's only used twice 
in the scriptures and, and it refers to something that belongs to someone. And so it's been adapted through time to speak to a place. God's house. The church is God's house. See, there's a difference in the way the word church has been translated. One refers to a people and another refers to a possession or a place. And when we talk about the church, we often talk about the church as some third-party place where we go. It's something we participate in, that we gather in, that we contribute to. And, and when we want to complain about it, we complain about what? The church. It's something external to us. Well, a lot of people complain about the church to me over time. And you want to say, well, who are you talking about? You're talking about Samuel Priestley? Because you've got to complain about him, I'm, I'm open to hear it. But if you're talking about Lauren, well, there's, a, there's another problem here. Like, when people want to talk about the church, what are we referring to? Because in the Bible, when Jesus talks about the ecclesia, he talks about a people, the called out ones. Jesus wants you to think of yourself as the church. Not something you go to or that's external from who you are, but that you are his ecclesia. You are part of the people that he has called out to gather in his name. So we need to stop talking necessarily about the church as a place we go, even though it is an appropriate usage of the word. It's just come from a different origin. So if the church in Jesus' mind is his people that have been called out to gather, does the where of the church matter? This is a really big question. Does the where of the church matter? Because if the church is not defined by a place or a building, but is defined by a people, I want to ask the question of why would we ever invest in building places that we call churches? You know, if you ask me what I'm doing after the service today, I'm going to say to you that at some point, after a few other errands and family activities, at some point I'm going to head home to my family. And if you said to me, well, describe your family, I wouldn't say to you, well, it's got four bedrooms, two bathrooms, a garage, it's got some grass out the back, an annoying little dog that'll bark at you if you turn up, and that is my family. No, no, no. I'm describing to you my house, the place where my family gathers. It's the place where my family meets. And just as families need homes, I believe so do churches. God's called out people need places to call home. See, I love going home. I live in a world and I work in a vocation that means that I am with a lot of people a lot of the time. So home for me becomes a refuge. Home for me becomes a place of rest. Home for me becomes, becomes a place of refueling. My fridge, my cupboard, my food, my refueling. Home is a, a, a safe place for me. It's a place where I love to be. It's a place where I feel I can completely be myself. I can wear what I want. I can be comfortable. And if you thought that I got comfortable with what I wore around church camp, well, just don't catch me out at the wrong time of home. We've got these unfortunate panels of glass at our front door that I'm scared sometimes people are going to be peering in as I'm doing the run from the kitchen to my laundry to the bedroom because I forgot to get you know, my outfit for the day. It's just a warning. If you ever come to my house, knock. Don't look. No. 
But this is, my home is a place where I feel completely at ease. It's where my family rests, refuels. It's where we can be ourselves. It's a place where we share our stories and it's a place where we prepare to step out into whatever today or tomorrow holds. And I think the same can be said of the church. We live in a day where having a home matters. You know, you go back to the scriptures and you look at ancient Israel. They're a community that had an identity, but they didn't have a place to call home. And God's great promise to the people of Israel was that he was going to give them a promised land. And you can do this great study about the power of land in the ancient world because if you had your own land, land actually carried identity. It was a place of rest, of security, a place of future hope. And so the people of Israel living in slavery in Egypt had an identity as a people, but they didn't have a home. And so their identity wasn't fully realized until they found the land that God had promised to them. You see, we can be a gathering of people, but people need a home. And I believe churches need homes. You know, I have a dream, and we've had a dream ever since we planted here, that one day we would build a home for Gateway Ormo. And we've had the privilege of being in an awesome relationship with this incredible school here, Livingston. We've been in this relationship for over 10 years. They've been incredibly generous to us. They've been incredibly kind with what they've allowed us to use. And uh, this has been a great temporary home for us as a church family. But we have a dream, and we've had it since day one, that one day we would build a more permanent home, that when many of us that are my age and older are no longer around, that there would be a place that would house the ministry of this community, this gathering of called out ones for generations to come. And we've got a dream to build a home that's a place where people can rest and refresh, where people can refuel, where people can be known and accepted, where stories can be shared, and where we have a great place where we can show hospitality and welcome to a whole bunch of guests that one day aren't going to be guests, but are going to become family. Dream to build a home where young people are released in their gifts and find value and worth where those of you that have a heart for care and for mission can have a place to gather and to encourage one another and to prepare yourself for all that God has in store. You see, churches need homes, not because the home is the end goal, but because as a group of called out ones, believe God wants to give us a base out of which he wants us to do his work of mission. But churches don't just need homes. I also believe that communities need something. Communities need both sanctuaries and, and communities. I can't remember what my second point was. Put it up for me. I was like, and signposts. Man, my notes are really skinny today. Communities need signposts and sanctuaries. I'm going to just take you to a little uh, message that um, I read this week from a theologian that I read a lot of that just has a great take on the church and, and a New Testament scholar. His name's Tom Wright. And he was speaking at the opening of a church in New York City. And the question was asked of him of why do buildings matter? And he's a guy that just pours himself into the scripture. And he says this. He says, I've often summarized the doctrine of justification by saying that God intends to put the whole world right in the end. See, God is in the business of restoration and renewal. And having launched that project in Jesus, God puts people right in the present so they can be models and agents of his putting right project in the world. 
In other words, in, in Jesus, what God has actually launched his project, his missional kingdom project of making the world right, of the res- restoration of all things, the restoration of broken humanity, broken creation, broken relationship with God. That is what Jesus inaugurated in his death, burial, and resurrection. But we're in the middle of this moment where the kingdom of God is broken through in Jesus, but is yet to be fully realized in all of its glory, where Jesus will be known in all and through all. But right now, we are a model of God's renewal and restoration work. As he captures people and as he starts to allow his spirit to do his work in people, we start to become pictures of God's intention for all creation. And right then goes on to talk about uh, the journey of the scriptures where we see that when God presents himself with ancient Israel, it started in a tabernacle. They had a, a physical representation of the presence of God in a place that contained the glory of God. And that became a temple in Jerusalem. And in that temple, there was a place that was known as the place where the glory of God was and where God's presence was. But it was only ever a foretaste for God's intention to make the whole world, the heavens and the earth, his sanctuary, where his glory would fill the earth as the water covers the seas. In other words, in Jesus, God's project was launched so that one day the whole earth would be his temple, would be his sanctuary. And so Wright then goes on to say this, church buildings, though they can sometimes be idolized and treated as though they were the reality to which they point, nevertheless, they do point to that reality. For it's easy for us to imagine a church building is meant to be an escape hatch from the world. A place where you go to forget the world for a while. That's absolutely wrong. A church building is an anticipation of God's desire to be known and loved on every square inch of the world. A church building is a bridgehead into the world, not an escape hatch from the world. And therefore, the more it can point to the eventual goal of filling the whole creation of God, with God's glory, the better. He says, a church building is to be cherished, assigned to the world around so that the casual shopper, the cab driver doing a quick U-turn, the homeless man wandering by, or the young, young executive on the way to the office may all be reminded of the truth that nobody ever totally forgets. That we are humans called to bear God's image. The heaven and the earth are made for one another and one day this will become reality. In other words, churches need homes, but I also believe communities need signposts and sanctuaries. And building a building doesn't do that. But the ecclesia, the people of God, the church that fills it and the mission and the ministry that emanate from it and the way that it speaks to the glory and the goodness and the creativity of God matter. You know, as I drive through the northern Gold Coast right now, there's not enough signposts and sanctuaries that remind us of God's desire to fill the whole earth with his glory. And I believe one day he wants to use this community to build one. See, the church needs a home, but our community also needs some signposts of God's hope. And as I said, a building won't do that, but if the people of God fill it with God's creativity and God's love and God's kindness and God's compassion, a place can become a picture of hope. Just like a loving family home can be a place of refuge and rest and refueling. A church filled with people that carry the love the grace and the mission of Jesus can become a sanctuary for people that need hope. 
And I believe God wants to use us to build such a sanctuary. So if you've worked out this is a great vision, but now let me talk to reality because there is a cost. Next week, uh, we're going to speak to this, but today's really my opportunity to speak to it as one of us and as the pastor of this place. Because when we give to Gateway Beyond, we give to the whole gamut of what God's calling us as a church across five campuses and in ministries right across the world to continue to invest in together. And as you go today, I'd really want to encourage you to grab one of our giving cards. This is the place God's planted you and called you to be and the home that you're a part of. I'd love you to go away and at least consider what it looks like for you to be part of the future dream that God has for our church here. And I want you to grab this giving card and I want you to read it really carefully because it looks a little bit different this year. Because on it, it's going to talk about your gift to Gateway Beyond and there's an opportunity for you to um, indicate what that's going to be. Now, I just want you to remember next week is not an offering. Next week is a chance for you to pledge what over the next 12 months you believe you can give. So you may not be able to actually make your gift until February 2023. That's okay. If you know there's something coming and that's the time you can give. This really helps us know where we're at and how to budget. So filling in this card really matters. That's why I'm telling you about it today so that it's not sprung on you next week. I'd love you to take it home and consider it. And it says, my gift to Gateway Beyond, and this is how much I'm going to give. It's completely anonymous. There's no F on there for you to put your name unless you actually want uh, you know, Gateway and our finance team to set up a, a regular gift with your credit card. You can put your details there. But it's going to talk. Uh, it, it says at the top that we have an annual commitment, and there's a big number, of $777,000 that go to the ongoing work that we're committed to in Gateway Beyond of building and sustaining our local care ministries. Now, the work of our counselling and wholeness centres, uh, our um, on-track programs and you know, our food ministries and the people that support and sustain that, but also that 777000 goes to supporting our global workers, people like Morris and Lisa and Roger that you've heard of and a whole bunch of others whose faces are on those prayer cards that depend on the generous support of their church family to continue to sustain the ministries. And when we give, we don't just give to people, we also give to projects. Oh, that are helping the poor, that are equipping communities. And so our generous gift goes to sustaining the work of Gateway Beyond. But beyond that, we believe God's stepping us into a new season of actually developing great local churches. And for us here at Ormo, there's a real implication this year because the gift that we give and the pledges that we make actually go towards the journey of us building here locally on the northern Gold Coast. And so underneath the top line is a chance for you to say, I want to give a gift specifically to campus development in my campus. And so you can write what that amount is and make sure that you write the right campus there. I mean, you can give to any campus. If you want to give a gift to Redlands, go for it. But if this is where your heart is and you know that God's calling you to give specifically into the development of what God's calling us to do here in building a home, you can do that this year and make that clear on the giving card. I want you to take this home and I want you to consider it. I want you to think about it. I want you to pray about it. I want you to talk about it. Uh, you feel free to ask me any questions about it. But come next week prepared. Don't just kind of get stuck at the end of the message going, I should put something or let's just fold it and pretend like we wrote something so we don't look like we forgot. Like just come prepared. Grab that giving card on your way out this morning because there's going to be a cost to a seeing the dream realised. You know, years ago, I found my way into a church building. Here's a photo of Gateway 
Um, in the 90s, not long before I arrived, it looked a little bit different back there than it does today in terms of the architecture and the paint and the uh, quality of the facility. But that was the church as I first experienced it. I think that was on a big Sunday. There weren't that many people there the day I went. But some years before that, people generously sowed in building Gateway Baptist Church Mackenzie. But I turned up as a 17-year-old from Dubbo. I had no concept of that. I just had heard of this church and had grown up in a Baptist church in country New South Wales and thought... I should check it out. And so I turned up there one Sunday morning and I'm not big for jumping around churches. I just kind of found my way there and stayed. And so I found my way into a church community that I didn't know the history of. I didn't know the investment or the sacrifice that had been made. But the first thing that happened for me there was I started to find some friends. I was a, uh, my first time living out of home. I knew nobody else in Brisbane And so I was desperate to find a community to be part of. But over time, in that place, God used that church and ministries that emanated from that building to help disciple me and what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. In that place, I met some great mentors, some people that encouraged me in my gifts, and I was shaped as a leader, and I got to hone my gifts and skills. And some people sitting in that place got to endure some early days of Andrew Main's messages that weren't so good. But not only did I get shaped and discipled, over time I found a church that became my extended family and I found my place in God's kingdom building project. Not long after I arrived, um, the the story of global missions has always been a strong one at Gateway. Not long after I arrived, some short-term trips started to emerge into Africa. The the teams were originally called into Africa teams and they went to do some medical work for a couple of weeks and there were great... Uh, gatherings of people that had a real heart to go and serve and do some short-term mission. And they went in and they did some uh, work and they met with some workers in Africa. And over time, people that went on that trip had God's heart for the poor captured within them because they were on that into Africa trip. You can actually grab some of their cards. Neil and Gwen Wetzig, Anna Cuffel, Andrew and Anne Wright were some of the people on those early into Africa trips. Now working vocationally, investing significant parts of their life in working with the poor in that continent. You see, something happens when God brings a group of people together into a church community that he fuels in them a mission. And I'll say something really important to us today. I have no desire for us to build a sanctuary that just becomes a great place for us to hang out. You see, great churches develop great people and great people go and do great mission in a broken, hurting world. You know, the Old Testament prophets speak a lot to the community of Israel about the marrying of the religious life and the way that the people of faith actually live out that in their ministry to the poor. The Old Testament speaks a lot about the intrinsic and intimate link between worship and justice. In other words, the religious practices of the community You know, when we gather, when we do things like we do today and we gather to sing and we open the word together, we enjoy some international roast at the end of the service. It speaks to the practices, the religious practices of the community, the music, the festivals, the disciplines. And all those things are really important. But what happened was the people of God came together and became really proficient at the religious practices of the faith, but they didn't take that into their life outside of the walls 
of their practicing community. They didn't get that what God wants to shape in here is meant to fuel what happens out there. They missed the link between the worship of God and the application of justice within the community. And people started to live these dualistic lives where they had this religious part. And many of them were really, really good at doing all the religious things. They knew all the right words. They knew the words to the songs. They knew when to stand, when to sit. Like some of us do today, we, could, we are proficient in the religious practices of professing the Christian faith. But as the Old Testament unfolds, the prophets start to speak into this and they start to say, if that's all you've got, God's not interested. That's a really nice way of saying it. But but the prophets start to say, you know what, what God sees is people that have become experts in religion with no application. They know the right language. They know all the right stances. They actually know how to convince everybody else around them that they're a spiritual person. But in the Bible, there is an intrinsic link. There is actually no way to separate the life of worship and the life of mission, or the life of worship and the application of justice. What's really interesting is if you're into doing word studies in Greek and Hebrew, I'm, I'm a small part of what I enjoy. But the word for justice in the Old Testament, one of the words for justice is the word sedek in the Hebrew, which is also used elsewhere in the scriptures to translate as righteousness. In other words, there's a link between justice and righteousness. God is a righteous God, therefore God is a God of justice because justice is about making things right. And God's justice one day will be experienced in his project to make all things right relationally, environmentally, spiritually, relationship with one another, relationship with him. Because God is a God of justice. And so God speaks very, very strongly to his people who think that it's all about what happens here and have missed out that this is actually meant to be fuel for what happens out there. The prophet Isaiah writes this. One of the religious practices that was utilized often in, uh, in the worship in Ancient Israel was the practice of fasting and it's not something that we avoid today and it's not something that we should because Jesus still speaks to it. But, but fasts were regular and they were very religious in their application. And so the prophet Isaiah says this, God asks, why have they fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? This is, this is the charge of the people against God. Why have we fasted and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? And then God speaks. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast that I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? In other words, God says, do you, do you think the thing that impresses me is that you're just, you've got the stance and the demeanor of the religious person and you're doing all the right stuff? Do you, you think that's what impresses me? You think your stance in worship impresses me? You think the gold star on the church attendance list Impresses me. You think that you know the full repertoire of Christian songs the last 20 years impresses me? 
Is that what you think impresses me, God says? Now, he's not, he's not actually saying those things are bad because you read and you contrast this with other scriptures. Those things really matter. But God says, if you isolate them, you miss the point. This is what he goes on to say. Is not the kind of fasting that I have chosen this, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Because that's what I want fasting to lead to. Not just some box that you tick to say, look at me, I've fasted. I want to see the marrying of your worship and religious life with the application of justice. That the poor are fed, the naked are clothed, the hungry and the broken find hope, that the young people in our community that think the only hope to escape what they've got is to get addicted to drugs or alcohol or pornography or sex or relationships... We've got to take what happens here into a broken world because that's when what we do together, when we gather, really matters. And God says, that's what matters to me. And when you do, he says, your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the God will be your rear God. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. There is no separation from the life of worship and the life of justice. And this isn't just an Old Testament concept, this is the heart of Jesus. The prophet Amos says this. He says, I hate, that's strong language. I hate the word of God to the people. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. And I don't want everyone to hear that come out of the word, mouth of God. Away with the noise of your songs. I'll not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. And that are really strong passages. But we get a sense of God's heart that worship and justice that songs of praise and feeding the hungry, that talking to one another and bringing encouragement on a Sunday and sharing the good news of Jesus with a neighbour on a Wednesday are all intrinsically linked. That who God fuels us to be in this place, who he allows us to grow to be, actually should fuel the life of mission on the other six days of the week. Worship and justice belong together. What, it feels like I've done a message in two parts. Let me bring it together for us now. now. Years ago, I stood out the front of one of Brisbane's great cathedrals. Now, 
I don't think Brisbane's great cathedrals have anything on some of the great uh, architecture that was built in centuries gone by, but it was about as good as it got in Brisbane. A couple hundred years old, this beautiful cathedrals, beautiful stone glass windows, sandstone, sculptings, beautiful spy. It was an attractive building. It actually, and it, some of our churches are pretty unattractive these days, but churches used to be built and, and people that were craftsmen and architects and, and the creative ones used to want the building, the architecture to actually be a gift of worship to magnify the goodness of God. There's something about, isn't it, standing in a place that was designed to try and magnify God. And I was standing at the front of this great cathedral and I was sent in there actually, I was in the middle of my Bible college course and we were in there to kind of write a modern day um, parable. And on the stairs of this great cathedral was uh, a homeless man that was, uh, had made his bed and was lying there. Obviously decided that it was a comfortable and a warm place to get away from whatever else. And as a young uh, pastor, the thing that really stood out to me was that on the wall at the front of this church was, you know, a picture of the um, restoration work that was being undertaken at this church. And on the stairs was a homeless man that was hoping for some food. Now, the young, ignorant, know-it-all, 18-year-old agitator in me wrote a great piece for Bible College about, you know, how disgusting a picture it was that the church would be investing in its building over its ministry to the poor. One terribly ignorant assumption, God was probably on the steps of the church because it was a place he felt safe, probably a church that was feeding him, but I just wanted to kind of wipe off the whole church building and say, well, it's all about this. I think it is a both and. It's not an either or. It's a both and. See, when great churches are built that house great churches, in other words, when great sanctuaries are built that house great churches, ecclesia, set out, called out, set apart people that come together with the heart of God, for the mission of God, with the desire to bring His hope and His healing and His kindness and His love and His compassion and His justice. When sanctuaries house God's people and God's people are serious about doing God's work, it's a beautiful marriage. It's not either or, it's both and. See, I have no desire. You can write this down, you can quote me on it, quote it back at me, but I have no desire for Gateway Ormo to build a home unless it's a home that fuels people for mission. And I want to give you a challenge when it comes to your giving this year. It's a challenge that Chrissy and I are going to have to sit down and talk about this week. But yeah, there's a desire in me to see a great place built for our church here. I, I look forward to that day. There are moments when being in a school hall has its limitations. And I look forward to the day when we get to stand together and worship in a home that God has helped us to build. But I never want to do that to the detriment of us as a church doing God's work and caring for the poor in our community and across the world. So for me this year, I don't see this as a, an either or, I see this as a both end. Because the first commitment we've got is actually to continue doing the work of ministry and mission. 
And so we as a family have always chosen to give towards that. And you know what? The beauty of this is if Gateway Beyond was dependent on the main family gift, Gateway Beyond would be in trouble. But there's a whole bunch of main families that give the little bit that they can and together we come together and make a significant difference. It's one of the things I love about the church. We're better together than we are on our own. So we're going to continue as a family to give to the work of international mission and local care because that really matters to us. But then there's a second line that's an opportunity. And, and you might, I know there's people here that, you know, you've been waiting for your opportunity to give to what God wants to do here and build a sanctuary. And that's cool. I'm not pitting them against each other. But what I don't want us to do is go, oh, here's our opportunity. We want to get what we want. Let's just move. I'm, not, I'm not the pastor here to tell you to move your gift below the line. I'm, I'm maybe challenging you to step up and say, God, what's the boat and look like? Not the either or. So as you take your card, God's going to continue to send people from our church to serve the poorest of the poor, to start mission works and projects like Morris has shared that over 45 years, you can't capture in 45 years the cost to do what Morris has done. And sometimes God just puts his finger on a person or on a family, on a group of people and says, I need you to be my hands and feet. You're going to go, but I'm going to actually put some people behind you to pray for you, to support you, to give generously so that you can do the thing that I'm calling you to do right now. God's going to continue to send people from our church because that's the heart of our church. And so I want to make sure that we always have a focus on the both of God wants to build a great church, Gateway Ormo, here, the church. I reckon he wants to also help us get into a great home for our church for generations to come. But a great home that raises the next generation of mission leaders, the next generation of people that care more about building God's kingdom than their own, the next generation of young people that give generously to see the poor fed more than just putting better food on their table. The next generation of business owners and teachers and health professionals that are going to step into their workplaces with the good news of Jesus fueling all that they do. See, that's, I believe, the home God wants to put us in is not just so that we are comfortable and it's nice and it's easier and we don't have to whinge about setting up chairs ever again. I just believe He wants to put us in a place where the ministry of the church in the mission can continue to flourish generations to come I want to invite some of you to be part of that to jump on board with the church that God's wanting to build us to become can we stand I just want to do something different Jimmy can you run me a microphone down today please I just want to do something a little bit different this morning as a response my voice. I, I just, just want us to take a moment in silence and just, what's the prayer that God's just birthing in your heart for our future? But I just wonder if there's two or three others today that might just want to come and pray a, a corporate prayer for us. For our future here at Gateway Hormo and the future that God has in store for us. Because as I speak to you today, I don't know what it looks like yet. So we're sowing in faith about what God is going to do and we believe in faith that He will. But also, just reckon there's some, some prayers here for God just to fuel the, the next wave of 
mission workers and people that are going to go and serve the poorest of the poor. I just wonder if there's a few people here this morning that today there's just a prayer that's been birthed in your heart that you can just come and pray over us. If that's you, Joy, you've already wandered down. If anyone else just wants to come pray, why don't you just come do it now? I just why don't you just pray some prayers of faith over our house today. We are the Ecclesia. I thank you that we will come to know that more and more, that we'll be a living organism in union with each other and in union with you. And that yes. union will be unbroken, Lord. And that from that, living out of that union, more and more people will see the call of God to the lost, broken, to the unevangelized people of the world. Father, help us to be a body that's working, not a body that's broken. Bring on a time of great outreach, Lord, to the lost, from little children to old people, Lord, and people that think they're awake, but they're not, Lord, wake us all up for the coming of the Lord, in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Someone else, I'm just going to pray in their heart for just what God's calling us to in the future, yeah. Don't be shy, I know it's different, but I just love you. Come on, Barry. Anyone else that wants to come stand with Barry, just do it, do it now, not going to elongate this, but let's just hear the prayers that are birthing. Father God, we are your church built by you. It is your hands that have brought us together. It is your purpose that we're here for. And this is just a, another step uh, to be your light in this community. We just thank you for your faithfulness to date that we can witness too. We thank you for your faithfulness uh, that is eternal. And we thank you that uh, you are a light in us and a light is not to be hidden. A light is to be put on a hill and that's your move. And that's what you want for us, Lord. You want us to step out and step out for you. And Lord, we just uh, we thank you for the privilege of being part of your family and to be a light in this world that needs you now like never before. And we just pray for the generations uh, to come that, are, that need to see this light, need to see you in this world need to see the signposts and need sanctuary in you and we just pray in faith uh, and we step into this with you in our in faith uh, that you have prepared the way for us and that you go before us you prepared the ground before us uh, help us to see that and to, to take this bold move in stepping in with you Father, I thank you that you are calling us to activate our faith. Lord, as I thank you that as we've heard this morning, Lord, our worship is mission. And I thank you, Lord, that there is a hurting, broken world, Lord, all around us. And I thank you, Father, that we would be activated in our faith to believe you. And Lord, as Barry prayed, Lord, I thank you that this church is a light in this city. But I thank you, Lord, that you want us to be brighter. You want us to have a place, Father God, where people will come, where the broken and the hurting can come and Lord, find a hope in you, Father God. So I pray this morning, Lord, that we would be people that would walk out of here today and we would think about, we would meditate upon and we would pray, Lord, how are you activating faith in each of our hearts, Father God? Lord, there is a cost to your gospel. Lord, there is a sacrifice. And I thank you, Lord, that it takes time and it takes money. It takes effort, Father. And I pray that we would be people that will be prepared, Lord, to step into that, Father God, fully. Lord, I thank you, God, that you are a faithful God. Lord, I thank you for the good work that this church has already done, Father God, to reach this community. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, 
that you are calling us to more. And I thank you, Lord, that we will believe that, Father God, that we will have faith for that, Lord, and that we will keep our eyes upon you in all that we do in this process, Father. I thank you, Lord. In your precious name we pray. I just want to pray for a softening for, of our hearts and minds as we um, come to you in what you're calling us to give next week, Jesus, that you will just continue to remind us that it's not about the amount, Father, but it's about the sacrifice, Jesus. And as we uh, lean in that and to pray into that this week, that um, you will just, yeah, soften our hearts and minds to hear what you're wanting us to give, Lord, because no matter what you provide and you cover overall. Thank you, Lord. I believe as we build great churches, that home, our homes to great churches, that great mission happens. And that's the dream that I believe God's got for us. That God's going to use this place to fuel incredible things that bring kingdom ministry, kingdom come, heaven and earth colliding as we're about to sing about. You know, Jesus prayed, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And God wants to fuel that. And there's a whole generation of young people out there today that is going to fuel that in. That are going to be the leaders of this church. They're going to be those that feed the poor and bring hope to the hopeless for generations to come. The beauty of the way we do Gateway Beyond is what you choose to give, no one will ever know. Never kind of, it's between you and God and you may not be in a position now. It's a bad week, isn't it, to talk about this. Interest rates are going, anxiety starts to rise, but I believe in faith. God can lift our hope above that to be able to say, God, what's this actually mean? And there will be a cost. There will be a sacrifice. But together, God's hope, God's help. I believe our future is incredible. How are we going to sing? Great song the team has written talk about heaven and earth colliding and this morning I just want to give one more response and as we sing it's this I think there's some of you here today that God's finger on your life and I've said this many times there's nothing uh, the call to mission serving full time in kind of global mission or in church ministry whatever God's called you to do that's his call for you and that really matters there's no elevation of those things above those of us that are called to the classroom or the hospital or the job site there's no elevation, but God actually does have his finger on some of you that are going to get called into serving the poor in the nations of the world or the broken in our community or pastoring and planning and leading churches. And if you know that right now God's stirring something in you, we'd love to pray for you this morning. So as we sing this song, if that's you, it's a very specific prayer call. We just love you. I just love you to just come to the front so we can just minister God's prayer into your life this morning. Why don't we sing together, church? We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.